I welcome anybody who thinks a certain language is their heritage language. I welcome them into the party. It's great. Come try it out. Learn that language. Relearn that language. Whatever you're doing. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking the Language Barrier podcast. My name is Gustavo. I'm here today with Cash. Cash, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing amazing, especially because I'm very excited for our special guest today. Uh, we will be interviewing Marissa Blaschko. Let me know if I spoke that correctly, Marissa. <laughs> you did so well. Nobody ever gets that right. And you did it perfectly. <laughs> it must be among language people. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So we have today Marissa and she's going to be talking about heritage languages, relearning languages, and we are going to be getting all into that. And so, um, Marissa, I'd like to, to pass it on to you. Uh, would you please introduce yourself a little bit about who you are, your background, and what you do? So thank you for being on the yeah. show. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I... Um, I guess I'll just say I'm a Polish-American polyglot. I learn languages for fun, but I'm absolutely in love with, fascinated by, furious with languages that what we call in the U.S. are heritage languages. Uh, I started out as a linguistic failure. Uh, I grew up speaking Polish and English. I forgot my first language, which was Polish, by the time I was a teenager. I bombed out of high school Spanish class. I then proceeded to bomb out of Polish class in university. Uh, and I had to grapple with a lot of things relating to that in order to grow as an adult who loves to communicate and now who loves languages. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great topic and it's a great... Um, story and i i think that many of our listeners are really going to connect with that and i hope that everyone listening to this can can really dive into uh and expand what they really think about you know their their home their home language but yeah i think we're, we're really excited to actually be diving into this um for for me personally my my family is from uh more than 50 percent of it is from Italy. So I have sort of this connection, but not as much as cash. So I think cash is going to be having a lot of fun uh, asking you some some questions. So uh, cash, I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're all here because we think language learning is really cool and we like doing that in our free time. But I think heritage languages add a special connection just in terms of family and the cultures we all come from. So um, I'm going to ask you the first question, which I'm sure you get asked a lot. What is the difference between learning a language for the first time and relearning a language? Yeah, they're, they're two very different processes. Uh, linguists over the past 20 years have begun to study language or, or heritage language learners, heritage language relearners. And probably the biggest difference is that some heritage language learners, although not all, are false beginners. So maybe they have a, a lot of listening skills, but can't speak. Maybe they can kind of speak, but they sound kind of like a five-year-old. Maybe, you know, they used to be able to speak like me and then as an adult couldn't. Maybe they can barely even understand it. They just have like little bits and they have some instincts, 
but it's it's pretty much gone. And the what that means in a practical way, which is what researchers have really focused on, is that it's very hard to make textbooks for us. It's very hard for teachers and tutors to know what our needs are. We can zoom through some things and then be totally confused and anxious about other things. Usually we have a, uh, it's easier for us to verbally understand uh, than it is to do speaking, reading, writing. Uh, and that is can sometimes confuse teachers and tutors will think, oh, okay, well, she understands what I'm saying, so she must be able to speak. Why isn't she speaking? Like, mm, <laughs> it's not always like that. Um, so yeah, so it's a bit of an adjustment on both sides of the learning process. And then what researchers haven't yet looked into, and I hope they will, and I hope that I can encourage and help with some of this research, is the personal side of it. I, you can feel maybe ownership over a language that is either a family language or a language you used to be able to speak maybe from school because you had a relationship with it at some point or you still do as maybe a member of a diaspora or you have really good memories in the language. Um, but there are there is a real connection there that you don't have when you're starting with a brand new language that you're not connected to for the first time. And that can be both good and bad. <laughs> that can certainly be both good and bad. Uh, but it can... I think usually all of these differences, all these good points, all these bad points, mostly are just a shock to the system when you when you first start off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think I relate to that very much because uh, my heritage language is this old um, language from undivided India, which is called Sindhi. And I understand it when family members speak it, but I'm never able to have full control over it. I think it's sort of a case of receptive bilingualism. And... Um, whenever asked, like, if I'm, if I'm listening to the language, I'll always reply maybe in English because that's a language I have control over. And I think what you said about uneven skill levels, um, it's really difficult to learn that language from scratch because of what I know versus what I'm trying to learn in formal education. I think that can be really difficult. So how was your experience relearning Polish well, it's I'm still doing it. Uh, it's it's so far been I it's 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 so hard to explain to somebody who hasn't done it because it is so emotional. Like you said, I'm also receptive bilingual, passive bilingual. I have been my whole life, and to explain that in English to a teacher who doesn't necessarily believe I'm really Polish or doesn't believe that I can understand them is really hard or on the flip side they totally believe me and so they give me materials that are for an advanced speaker but I can't speak at all I, I, I have no grammar um, and what's really really common for people in our position is illiteracy so the the thing I'm most struggling with is not even speaking it's literacy I've never read in Polish and although it does use the Latin alphabet the rules for how it uses the letters are totally different than other languages I speak. So I have to sound everything out like I'm two years old doing hooked on phonics. And, you know, even my my speaking is still better than that. And that is often very confusing for teachers. But that's just kind of what it is. And, and I've learned to be at peace with that. And that has its own really cool layer. I think so often we're taught that 
you know, we're shamed by our families here, our families there extra mad at us. And I think that being at peace and just saying this is the situation, it's it's going to be something, uh, and I'm, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think there's growth in that and there's a peacefulness in that that I don't know if you can get any other way. Yeah, going off of that, um, how has your experience been in terms of connecting with your family after learning more Polish? Like, do you think you've um, formed a new connection because of the language? And do you think you've learned more about your culture because of it? Oh, that's so funny. So I expected. So my goal, I started uh, the previous summer and about five months later for Christmas, my first goal was like, I'm going to tell my grandparents I'm learning Polish for Christmas. It's going to be so good. It's going to feel so amazing. They're going to be so proud of me. And Polish is a hard language. <laughs> Polish is, a, is a harder than you would think I've language heard. for being in Europe. <laughs> so I didn't get too far. Uh, and I had this whole big moment planned out in my head. I was so excited. And it went well. But I had built it up to being this amazing, like, I'm going to reconnect. I'm going to find <laughs> myself. My, my family's going to love me. Like, this is going to be great. And it was very warm. It was very lovely. But I think setting it, setting up expectations for how other people would react was not what I should have done. Equally, mm -hmm. I thought I would get a lot of prejudice from other people in the Polish diaspora where I live. There's a lot. I thought people would be saying what they have my whole life, which is, okay, well, why don't you speak it? Well, you just don't want to speak it. Just all these really negative things. But actually, when I just came out and very, I guess, openly, but also in a very raw way said, this is what happened to me. Wasn't my fault. I was a kid. I'm relearning Polish. People have been so, so amazing and nice and supportive. Uh, I'm active on language learning Instagram and all sorts of people just started DMing me like, hey, I'm Polish. If you need help, really, like, message me. I'll, I'll help you with anything. It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. I, had, I just, I didn't expect that at all. So my definitely painted a very anxious and ecstatic picture in my head and everything ended up a little calmer uh, than, than I had thought it would be, which ended up being a really great thing. Marissa, so w would you say that that's something that you would change probably if you had, I mean, if you would probably like start today, probably not build that uh, amount of expectation? Yeah, wow, that's a good question. I think mm -hmm. what I wouldn't, it's kind of hard to say what I wouldn't because I can't go back in time. But what I would tell other people who are considering uh, maybe learning from scratch a heritage language, not all heritage language speakers have any ability in it, um, or relearning it or even improving it. What I would say is go in openly. Don't expect anything from your timeline. Don't expect things from other people's reactions. Go in with the mentality of this is a new part of me and a part of my life and a part of how I relate to the world. And we're going to see what it's going to be like. And it's not like I'm going to learn it and arrive at a destination. This is just a new, unique human experience I'm having. Let's mm -hmm. see what happens. Let's see what happens in, you know, I was so like five months, six months. I'm so goal oriented. 
I think instead a better mentality would be, let's see what happens in the first year. Let's see what happens in five years. Let's see how I am in 10, 20 years. Let's see how I am when I retire. Like, let's see what this new relationship and all these new relationships are going to be like in my life. Um, that is now the mentality I'm, I'm trying to have based on those previous experiences and definitely what I think people who haven't started yet uh, should think about. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I think it's not a, like simply a goal that you want to, to get to, but it's actually, you really want to make it part of your life and who you are because it is who you are. Right. So I think that's the, the coolest part. And I, I bet that the, um, um, the emotional side of it counts a lot because if you take me, it's like my, my whole family, most, most of my family is, um, we're from, um, a small town in Italy, but that's like four generations ago. Right. And so I was born, grew up in Brazil and we're Brazilians. Right. And so since I was a kid, my grandparents, my parents would say expressions in, um, Italian that they heard from from their parents and so in that sense like we have that sort of um, tidbit from Italian but it's not like I, I ever learned it or I ever spoke it but I, I can feel that connection but it's not as intense and so but I bet from where you're coming from it's like the connection must be like amazing right it must be so strong yeah I think well, so there, there's many different types of heritage language users or learners or relearners. Mm -hmm. And I welcome anybody who thinks a certain language is their heritage language. I welcome them into the party. It's great. <laughs> Come try it out. Learn that language. Relearn that language. Whatever you're doing. Uh, I don't want to say that it's more intense or less intense what I'm doing than what somebody like you might be doing because you might discover something about yourself or your family that is incredibly personal that I won't have. I don't want to make it a hierarchy of language levels or language proximities because we all have different relationships just based on what statues society assigns us. So, you know, in Polish, in this part of U.S. history, we're white. So I get a lot of, oh, you're not really Polish, you're actually American. Whereas my parents came over in the 80s, somebody from Japan whose parents came over in the 80s, they're going to get a lot of, oh, well, where are you really from? Uh -huh. And so I'm very hesitant to say that, you know, one of us is going to have a different relationship than the other or my cousins who still who always spoke Polish or, you know, more Polish than me or more emotionally in tune with the language. Emotions are certainly a big side of it. But I think anybody can connect with themselves and their roots if they open themselves up to learning. Um, I think one trap might be also, okay, well, you know, I'm Italian-American, I'm Polish-American, I'm Japanese-American, so I'm basically Japanese. Like, no, we're actually a cool new thing. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what is what is going on in the motherland? Like, learn that, learn that history, learn those things that your family didn't tell you, but don't worry too much about am I really from there am I is this really close what am I am, is it really going to feel like this let's let's see what happens yep yeah I think there's definitely a case of like finding more about your identity through languages um, which also brings me to the question I personally tend to confuse this a bit as well um, but how would you differentiate between a native language and a heritage language 
That is the best question. So <laughs> do we differentiate? So it's very hard to capture somebody's whole relationship with a language in just one word. I mean, we are humans are so infinitely complex. Who could ever just pick one word to describe themselves? Languages are just as complex. So how do we pick one word to describe our relationship with a language? Um, generally, the word native language, it's kind of a construct and it's not perfect. Originally, it was a pretty good word. You Mother tongue, home language, native language is a pretty good word to distinguish the language you and it's a European construct. So you in Europe were speaking at home with your community and let's say an academic or church language like Latin or maybe a business language like maybe you were speaking French, but actually your native language was Catalan. And it was a pretty good way to distinguish between that language, which is yours and this language, which you speak for um, another reason. Heritage language speakers, not all of them speak their heritage language as a first language. I would argue that Gustavo is a heritage language Italian learner, if, if when he dives into that, even though that's certainly not his first language. Um, it was my first language, but would I say it's my native language? Well, probably not. So what we normally think of as, I'll, th I'll throw native language out the window. Let's say, let's not look at that. Let's say first, let's say, let's say our dominant language is the one that we go to school in, whether or not that is our home language. So for me, I'll often say my dominant language is English. I grew up in the U.S. I've had most of my jobs in English. I've gone to school in English. I made my friends throughout my life in English. That's my dominant language. My heritage language is Polish because of the circumstances. It was my first language, but I wasn't able to go to school in that language. I wasn't given the space to really flourish in that language. And so you can kind of see in this example how they overlap, how they're different. And it gets even blurry when you think about situations like in Haiti, when somebody's dominant language may be Haitian Creole, but also they went to school in French. Uh, and is, is one of those their heritage language? Well, probably not. So all of those categories have blurry lines, and that's okay. I think having those categories is good for certain types of research, uh, but for me, I'll say in certain circumstances, English is my dominant language. English is my native language because it's the language I command at the highest level and is my lifelong language. Sometimes I'll say Polish is my heritage language. Sometimes I'll call it my first language. It really just depends on who I'm talking to. Uh, and sometimes I'll throw all of that out the window and I'll say I'm bilingual in English and Spanish because I am. <laughs> and then uh -huh. I won't get into the whole complicated heritage language situation if that's not relevant. So... They're really, it really, it depends on a lot of things. Those are some ideas of in which circumstances one word would be better than another. Um, but generally, heritage language in the U.S., in the American, Canadian, Anglophone world contexts, is a language you spoke at home and wasn't able to fully develop. Generally, we're told our native language is the one we went to school in, but obviously it's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Marissa, I just love how you put put it that in the in the way that you said the dominant language versus instead of using native because native there's so many things attached to it that it can really yes. blur that blur it right and i just think that that's 
I, I hadn't looked at it in that sense before. And I think if I if I'm thinking, okay, my dominant language, it's I honestly I would say it's both English and <laughs> Portuguese because I grew up uh, yeah. firstly speaking Portuguese, but also mm-hmm. when I was young, uh, started learning English too. And so mm-hmm. I would say like my then my second language would probably be Spanish, you know, because I have yeah. a good um, I'm able to communicate uh, and in it, but it's not like I'm not entirely dominant. And so I think that that was really cool. But I want to challenge you on that. Here's another situation. If you are with Brazilians mm-hmm. and they are like, oh, you're a native Brazilian speaker or Brazilian Portuguese speaker, you wouldn't also be like, oh, also English, right? You'd be like, yeah, I am. So it yeah. really, it changes on context, right? It changes yeah. in the country that we're in. It changes who we're speaking to. It changes, you know, why we would need to speak to that person. Maybe equally in Brazil, you'd be going for a job and you would say, oh, I'm a native English speaker as well. And in that circumstance, English is more relevant to claim as your dominant or native language or some combination i don't think we have to marry one word and stick to it we're way too cool for that we can say what we want (laughs) and if a researcher asks us then we ask them for their definition Mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely agree and specifically by the phrase that you used we are infinitely complex and so let's not use like one word to describe who we are right i think like we're way we're way better than that. So I, I like that. Yes. I like that. Yes, I love it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's that's the attitude. So we also would like to ask you, what other languages do you speak, Marissa? <laughs> Ooh, who knows? Who knows? Speak is another weird word. <laughs> okay, so what? Yeah, no, honestly, yeah. That If, if we get into that realm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so let me, I'll describe my relationships to these languages since it's fun and weird. So I generally would say I'm bilingual English-Spanish. I speak Spanish. Um, I work in Spanish. I have friends in Spanish. I read books in Spanish. I love Spanish. I also speak, uh, y'all, y'all know my situation with the Polish, um, but then I also speak French and Catalan at pretty mm-hmm. high levels. I'm an intermediate at Brazilian Portuguese, the prettiest language. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I am also just starting to learn German. So mm-hmm. I don't speak German, but uh, and if come come ask me in a year, and hopefully I'll have it on the I speak German list. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm super curious. What's uh, I know this is also a very a complex. It's a simple question mm-hmm. to a very complex answer. <laughs> it's always yeah uh, like this, but. What are some of the methods? Like, what are some of the things that you like doing that you enjoy? Um, using as your like ways to learn these languages yeah so i've experimented a lot uh i post really regularly the behind the scenes on instagram and youtube because i think that everybody should try and fail and try something new and love it and then hate it and just play i would say right now the things that i have been digging the most is honestly a lot of youtube i listened to Mm -hmm. Every single day, I try to listen to one cool thing in every language, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube video. So maybe, you know, in the morning, I'll get my news in Spanish or Portuguese, usually, sometimes in French. Uh, Usually then I'll watch something really cool about like science or tech, which I really like in German with subtitles (laughs) or um, sometimes also in French. Then maybe I'll just you know, watch something dumb and fun in Polish. Um, so that's been a big 
source of joy and learning for me has been a lot of good input and doing that every day. I'm also a massive, massive fan of Anki flashcards. If anybody knows me, uh, they know that I'm obsessed. I am on a 18 month streak with Anki. Wow. I will not be broken. That it is, is grueling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it so much though. It's not for, none of these things are for anyone. Right. So, um, I love it. I find it really great. I just, as I'm going along with my day, I find a cool word that I want to remember. Just plop it into Anki. It's like a habit now. Um, and those two things are really what I use to maintain and slowly improve my languages. Um, but as for active learning, I'm a big fan of private classes. They can be really affordable and, and you don't need that many. Uh, I love workbooks, books mm -hmm. that just drill you on something. Like, I just want to know how this verb works. Ask me 500 times in a row. Like, I'm going to learn this. <laughs> I love workbooks. And yeah, I think those are the... The four, oh, and I am, um, I read a lot in my languages. My big goals for this year were to read two books in all of the languages that I speak uh, each. So it ends up being quite a few. Um, and that's more for fun, though. I don't know how much I'm active, actively learning from, you know, some silly Catalan true crime, but it's still really fun. So, yeah, that's that's a lot of it. It's living in the language doing a lot of flashcards in the language and every once in a while taking a class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool, I think. Yeah, I said a question. Um, how do you keep in touch with all of the languages? Do you work on all of them every day? And how do you like separate what you do in each language to not confuse them? Good. I, yeah, that's a good question. That took me a long time to figure out, honestly. And for the first few years of language learning, they were all so uneven. One was growing, then it was falling apart because I was doing something else. Um, and, I, you know, I talked about this a few questions ago, but it's really been the long view of language learning. I don't have to really focus too much on any one language. I can just slowly grow them all together and not have to see progress every month, but just know that I'm slowly growing all of them. Um, so usually it's, I have a, a little habit tracker that I've printed out on my desk where I have, you know, did I listen to a video in this language today? Click yes. <laughs> do I, you know, did I do my flashcards? Those are pretty easy. Um, and that's my, my base habit, I would say. Uh, and then on top of that, usually every month I have a language that I'm a little bit more interested in and I just follow my heart for that. So it's mostly been Polish. This month I'm taking a break from Polish and I'm doing some French, which I really love. Um, and I think next month I might do Catalan, but for that language I'm a bit more concentrated on, same thing. I just make myself a little tracker of my goals for that month. And, you know, when I have some free time every day, I'll just work toward those goals. Uh, and that could be with any number of resources, but that just is more of a follow my heart thing. As long as I do my basic listening sending messages to friends, flashcards, like I'll, I'll get there. They're, they're, they're going to, they're going to get there. I trust it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that something that, that you, that you mentioned about like the language learning being a long game, right. Rather than actually something that yeah. you want to achieve or a specific goal that of course can motivate, but it's not like, it's just a means to the end. Like, that the, it's about being in the game right now. I think that's uh, probably yeah. where you take a lot of the, the, the joy in learning. 
and which is something that I've noticed because I started learning Korean last year and yeah. I had this thing in my mind like okay I re- I want to I want to get to a level where I am able to talk to my Korean friends and go to Korea, mm-hmm. travel there, etc. But I think in my mind, like the mindset was short game, like was short term mindset yes, instead of yes. actually like, okay, let me do a little bit every day. And when I mm-hmm. was able to shift, because I had to actually take, also I took a month break from, from it. When I took that break yeah. and got back recently, it was just like you said, uh, I was I was able to look into that long game, especially because like I'm not focusing on Korean 100% all of the time. If you if you take a look at some um, people that post videos that do a lot of Anki stuff, it's like yeah. they spend hours and hours um, consuming the language, doing flashcards, etc. But like yeah. maybe that's not our that's not what we want to do, right? And so be content. Yeah. Like would you say it's important to be content with just taking that like okay i i did this habit today right yeah yeah yeah. i know exactly what you're talking about but there's like anki people i'm not (laughs) i have most of my a lot of my friends are also very type and we love anki but there is there are a lot of people online who are doing exactly what you're saying who are going super hard on flashcards Mm -hmm. who are really charting their passive input, who are following these structures. And that's cool if that works for them. I, I definitely works for some people. That's amazing. Um, I think people have to figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think if, if everybody followed my regime, most people would be miserable. Humans we keep talking about this. I love how we keep getting back to this. Humans are so complex. Why would we all study the same way? So, you know, when I first started, I took a very laissez-faire approach to it. I was like, okay, I'll study when I can. Like, I'm not going to put pressure on myself. Like, this was a hobby. That was too little for me. Uh, then I tried doing these kind of six-month focuses. Six months was too mm-hmm. long and too structured. That was too much. So then I tried doing, like, one-month pushes. But I always, I didn't always like my plan. So... I think people have to really experiment and find what's right with them. And that experimentation could take one or two years. I think mm-hmm. it took me three years to figure out how I really best study. But that's that's worth the investment. That is worth the investment in the patience. Because once you figure it out, you have the keys to the universe. You can do anything and it's fun. And you'll be happy with your results because it's something that you gave yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think something that I that I want to tell myself a lot is don't be hard on yourself because I think this is something that I do I I used to do a, at least all the time which was like I'm not improving like if I'm I wasn't seeing improvements I was psychologically like in my mind sort of beating myself down and that just makes you demotivated and you might not want to continue and I think that's defeat right I think like failure and not being able to progress, that kind of thing, we're always gonna have. Um, but defeat is when you actually, uh, when you actually step down. And not to say that stepping down and stop like learning something or doing something is a bad thing. It's it's a thing about self self awareness, right? So I think that's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that really the only person who can stop somebody from learning a language is themselves. So just be kind to yourself, find other language learners, trust the process, but just, yeah, don't beat yourself up. Don't 
frustrate yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's not it. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, like, we have to understand that language learning is hard. Not everyone's going to be able to do it as quickly <laughs> as some people. Like, no one's good at... Well, do you know what? <laughs> I, would even, I, would even, I would even argue against that. Not everybody is going to have the same amount of free time as somebody yeah. else. I am an mm-hmm. adult. I am not in school. Yeah. I have no kids. <laughs> like, I'm in quarantine. <laughs> what else? I'm literally nothing, doing nothing but learning languages right now. So why would some, you know mom who's in grad school who has two kids why would she compare herself and her progress to mine that makes no sense mm-hmm. at all comparisons are are bad right <laughs> like yeah <laughs> absolutely I just, hate, I just hate comparisons like now now that i think about it it's it's sometimes okay okay like just to see where where you are but don't take it as face value like don't take it personally because as you said like we are infinitely complex and everyone's yes. unique in a sense and so yes. I think this is probably one of the one of the key takeaways that, that I'm taking away from from this talk is, <laughs> is that we are complex. We're unique in each of us in, in every way. It's a cliche thing to say, but it's the truth. And so why deviate from from the truth? Absolutely. I love I love that. That's the theme for this episode that none of us <laughs> planned. <laughs> it's yeah. a good one. No, I do think it's very related to heritage languages, too, because each person has such a different experience with them. And there's no way to say that a heritage language can mean the same thing to everyone. No, no, exactly. And uh, I, I love this talk because you not there's there are so many contested definitions of heritage language. If somebody's looking at me in my Polish journey, but let's say they're a Navajo language speaker and their parents had no contact with the language at all and their grandparents only had some, that would be terrible for them to look at themselves the way or compare themselves to me. I'm, you know, I, I'm relearning a language that I had contact with through a lot of my childhood and has a country that produces resources. So especially when we're looking at how not only our personal relationship with the language, but what society has made possible or impossible for a number of reasons with that language. We just, we can't compare each other, our, our levels, our progress, uh, how many hours we can do in a language. I mean, there are people truthfully in the U S and Canada who are trying to reclaim their heritage languages, which nobody in their family has spoken for two generations and they don't have constant access to electricity. So it's, it's, there's, it just makes no sense to compare any yourself ever to anybody else at all under any circumstances. And I stand by this. Absolutely. I think this is a topic that should be talked about more. I don't think it's something that we find it like many people talking about, uh, in the, I mean, at at least not, uh, many people making videos on this. Uh, it's mostly about just like language learning in, general and i think what what you're doing is absolutely a a phenomenal thing and it's it's like if you if you have that um connection with your home country which is probably not the one that you're living in right now you know why why not learn that language or even ask yourself like why learn that language right i think that can be something a powerful question too yeah yeah i think it it can be. I think the only bad reason to learn a language is a reason, the reason you think you should learn it. I think that 
if you are, I should learn mm-hmm. this language because I have a passport from that country. I should learn this language because of my parents' language. I should learn this language because then I will know the language. Like, no, why do you want to learn it? Why is it important to you? And I think if you follow that true reason without judgment or shame, I think there's a lot of joy to be had in it. Um, I mean, Marissa, we, we'd also be open if you have any questions for us that you're curious about with that topic <laughs> that might be like pertinent to, to what you're researching about. We'd be glad to help out as well. Yeah, I would say I would love to hear. I love hearing language, heritage language havers, because uh, not all of us are users, not all of us are learners, but heritage language havers stories with that why would why would you two want to learn or relearn or improve those heritage languages like what would be driving you two yeah i can definitely talk about it a bit so my heritage language is this language called sindhi it is currently an official regional language in a region of pakistan but originally since it was undivided india and that's where my family's from and so people of that community, after the partition, left and went all around the world. So now, um, while it's still a language in Pakistan, it's not an official language anywhere else. And there is, I think, the greatest population after Pakistan in India. But even then, compared to the rest of the population in India, it is considered a minority group. And so it's not something it's, that's easy to get formal education in. It's only a language that I've heard at home, mostly with my grandparents, but also several other family members. And because of that, I think I understand a decent amount of the language, but I'm never able to really respond in it. And I think that urge of being able to do that, I feel like I'm only getting one side of the language. And also I feel like it would help me connect with my family members more in a way I'm not able to right now. I think that would be my motivation. Yeah, uh, I think that's an extremely common experience. There's six to 7,000 languages on this planet, depending on how you qualify a language versus a dialect. And out of those six to 7,000, I don't know if y'all have looked at apps recently, but most apps offer seven or eight. And the app with the most languages is called Utalk. They have 150. And if you don't speak one of those 150 languages, your chances of finding an app for your language, which is everybody's go-to resource right now, is not looking very good. Um, but that's what, we have the internet, we have each other. I remain optimistic. Um, but I, do you are you interested in in reviving that language in yourself? Is it something that just feels too hard? I mean, when you think about it, what are what are your feelings or experience or yeah, I guess, what are your feelings like about it? I think more recently I've been thinking about learning it. The more I hear it at home, I do understand it with context, but I've always like had an urge to be able to reply back in the language instead of replying back in a language I'm more comfortable with. And I know it'll come with a lot of time and practice, but I do like want to somehow get get into it and like learn more and Gustavo what's your energy with Italian what are you 
Are you? Are, is it a one-day project? Is it something you absolutely have to get to? What are, what are the feelings? <laughs> no, speaking over there? of energy with Italian, I think that's the best word to to describe my relationship with the language and like with the culture. It's just energy, <laughs> you know. Like at at home, we we always want to have like meals and yeah. stuff, and we're all talking over each other, and and we always go back to explaining we're italians you know like that's what italians do they like, talk over meals they do you know it's like crazy household stuff and so there's definitely that connection yeah. and um uh, i know many italians in um at, at school also and so it's it's a language that i feel very connected to uh specifically knowing that i mm-hmm. that my my heritage like is italian you know is partly from from there and mm-hmm. because I also speak Portuguese, uh, which is something that I have experienced with Spanish, mm-hmm. like the the Spanish that I know mm-hmm. is not attributed to my three years of middle mm-hmm. school Spanish. It's l- literally like being able to absorb yeah. um, that language from the the comprehensible and uh, the comprehensibility of Portuguese. You know, like because I understand Portuguese, I was able to sort of decipher Spanish in a way that was very easy. And I think that it's not going to be that difficult also with um, Italian. And I'm not not to say that I'm just going to learn it because it's easier for me. But because, you know, when whenever I interacted with Italians uh, in in college, whenever we talk at home about the the things that we do, you know, the 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 customs that we sometimes have here, it always goes back to um, to the to that heritage, you know, that that thing in the past that seems to be mm-hmm. uh, connecting all of us here at home. And so, yes, I really want to learn mm-hmm. Italian. Uh, I do not know when I will actually learn it, and I and I don't want to <laughs> say, okay, I want to learn it to this level, or when I want to learn this or that, because I do like humorous. It's it's I want it to be a part of my life and who I am. And not something that I'm striving to yeah. accomplish. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is the the attitude. Um, you know, it's, it's. I think it's really interesting that even if the three of us were to, you know, we keep talking about how complex these things are and how there's not really a word to describe these things, but the three of us have three very different relationships to these languages, even though. In this context, we would all be heritage language learners, havers, mm-hmm. users, however you want to call it. And, you know, that is one of the problems with when you talk about, okay, well, what do heritage language learners need? We would need three totally different things. Um, and I, unfortunately, it's part of the reason why there hasn't been a lot of research done into it. There's nothing conclusive as to better pedagogical ways to make resources, better pedagogical ways to explain things how to, a better curriculum these languages are all very different but also the situations and the reasons for each one of us are, are totally different and that's pretty consistent with if you talk to a group of heritage language humans we're usually all over the map um but that's 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 pretty cool too i like that awesome marissa thank you for being on the show uh but before we before we go where can people find you where are you on? Um, and yeah, where can they find you? Yeah, so I am on Instagram as Multilingual Marissa. 
Uh, it's mostly my personal studygram. I post a lot of language-related memes. I have a good time. Um, that's where I update the most frequently. But I post more stuff about heritage languages and my Polish journey on YouTube as Relearn a Language. Or you can find me at relearnalanguage.com for resources, for guides. I have some free printable materials on there. I'm building as much as I can of a library of well-explained, popular, super chilled out heritage language resources. So that's where. Super cool. Super cool. So if you are listening to this, definitely check Marissa out. And But yeah, I hope that we can connect again soon. It's been definitely been an amazing talk, an amazing chat. And with many yeah. insights and so many mm-hmm. and many new things, <laughs> cool and cool things to, to think about. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, I, I st- stay complex. Let's all stay complex. <laughs> yes, I love that. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Hope you all enjoyed and found value in the content. Our mission is to educate, motivate, and build world citizens by breaking one language barrier at a time. If this speaks to you, you won't want to miss out on what we have coming up. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or topics you want us to discuss, or if you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we would love to have you on the show. So don't hesitate to reach out. Our contact information is in the description.